Hello, my friend. Before we start this amazing episode, I want to invite you to the personal Patreon page of this podcast. If you love what's being done here and want to keep the podcast and the meditations free to the public, then you can come on over to our brand new community on Patreon and donate $11.11 a month and all proceeds will go towards keeping this free, keeping this going. Plus, we'll be building a community together and I'll give you bonus material. You can explore this option in the description of this podcast or just go to patreon.com slash Dr. Reese. Let's begin. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. So can your expansion be accelerated? Welcome to episode number 123. Today, I'm talking to Derek Alexander, known on the internet as Pleiades. As a self-proclaimed soul here to serve in a friendly neighborhood conduit of source consciousness, (laughs) he's inspiring people. At the young age of 21 years old, with his rap music, his gatherings, and his online programs. So sit down and relax. And take in this beautiful and important recording. Let's begin. Pleiades, welcome to the podcast. Aloha, my brother. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to be here in the inner peace realm. How come when you surrender control, you really gain control? Mm, I love it. We're just jumping right in, man. I love it. I love that question. Um, It's most, at least from my perspective, it would have to be really because we don't actually have any control of anything Mm. ever. That entire concept of having control is a persistent facade and illusion that humanity has consistently drilled into the consciousness of the condition you know so what i mean by that is we don't do anything we only witness the doing of the only thing that does exist which is god goddess absolute source conscious or whatever you want to call it you know the divine energy that creates everything that's the only thing that really does anything. And we are emanations of that, allowing that creative energy to flow through us. You know, we're not, we're all really just conduits, you know, of earth and cosmos. And we're the mediums to be able to channel it. So we don't do anything ourselves. We just let the only thing that actually does do something, do its thing through us. And that's how, you release control to gain control is you release the concept of thinking that you are an individual, that you are separate from all that is, that you are all that is, and that you don't control the will of all that is, you are just a part of all that is. So you release the control and then you are able to be a fully clear conduit to be able to channel 
And therefore, in the human perspective, we call that being in control because it feels like you're in control because any will that we would have to better ourselves and better others is the divine will. So or we're like divine puppets. Yeah, in a way, man, in a way. And it's like, you know, people have all types of adverse reactions to that. Some people get discouraged from that and they're like, oh, I don't. I mean, we have free will. Like, I'm not saying we don't have free will, but right. just the only will of anything is just source working through everything. All of the different separations are just persistent illusions. And um, you can see it as a discouraging thing uh, or you can see it as an encouraging thing. You know what I mean? That There's no pressure. We don't have to do anything. We get to do anything. Mm. We don't have to do anything. We get to do it. You know, like, like the whole, it's all about perspective, you know, when, like when I'm, when I mow my lawn, it's an honor. <laughs> yeah. Yo, truly. That's the yogic life right there. That's, that's the right understanding of what real instead, instead of I have to, or I need to. So what you're saying is we get to, we have, we have the privilege to do things on this earth. Yep. Even if it's quote unquote work. Yeah, it's really at the end of the day when it's work that's from the heart space, it's all play. You know, it's all joyful in the in the execution of actually doing the action. If you're feeling in a vibration of joy and positive emotions, you know, it's going to be playful. You know, that's the that's the ideal state to where, you know, you can be like, yo, I get to mow the lawn because you're in a state of joy and then you're having fun. You're having fun doing whatever you do in the human realm because it's all a play it's literally all a play so just play in the play you know it's all danced around like the childlike nature you see a child straight from the womb that's that's the direct emanation of source right there and then with the way society's conditioned people in the past although we're rewriting it nowadays in the past they would just condition the child to become less more adulterated and less in tune with source consciousness, you know, as they get older, but really the whole journey is coming back to the childlike state, you know, for an elder to realize that's why you normally see like people who really are up there in their age and years and stuff like that. You see them get like freaking playful and childlike. And you'll see like 80, 90, hundred year old people that are acting like two year olds and shit because <laughs> they, you know, took them most of their life, but they got it. You know, that was, they went right back to origin, right back to the virgin state to where we always create and it's effortless. You know mm. what I mean? You don't, you get to play rather than work. Everything in life is literally how you look at it. Everything. You are the creator of it all. So if you look at it all as something that you need to do or something that's a burden or whatever, definitely it's going to be that. And if you look at all as it's just a game that you get to play in and create whatever you want. It's going to be that it's all about where you're focusing. It sounds just like a quick switch. Yeah. But there is a surrender. Uh, that's very, very difficult for the average human being is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Our programming is in the way it's, being manifested as these formless thought patterns. How would you say is the best way 
I'm rhyming here <laughs> to surrender. Um, really, it comes with the embodiment of applying the knowledge into actual application. So the way that I would say to surrender, at least this is the most accelerated way, I would say. I wouldn't say it's the easiest way, obviously, but it is just the way that I've kind of lived my life and it's served me to put me where I am in every aspect of life. And that is to just throw yourself into situations that will pretty much leave you in a sink or swim environment to either embody it or lose your shit, you know, in like the most, <laughs> in like the most nutshell way. Like, you know, for like, for example, um, you know, you're talking about it's, it's easy to understand these principles, really, you know, it's, it, it, it's pretty intuitive, you know, you can understand that, okay, the conditioning was wrong. Um, I got to release control, I got to surrender everything that I thought that I know, and I really don't know anything like having these thoughts, like, you know, that right there is usually a big step for people in and of itself to release the conditioning. Mm. But even when you just get to that point, you're just acknowledging intellectually, you know what I mean? You're not embodying jack squat. And that's where when you have, th if you're acknowledging something intellectually, but then something comes up in your life, and you haven't embodied that truth, you're still going to repeat the same cycles of your conditioning and perpetuate the, the the suffering of your lineage and all these different things. Whereas if you say, okay, I understand I got to release control. I understand I got to, you know, you, I understand all these things and I'm willing to put it to work. I'm willing to put it into action. Really, that is completely subjective and different for everyone, how it's going to look. But what I feel is that all of us in our heart know our next step towards an accelerated expansion and whether that is cutting people out of your life cutting circumstances out of your life releasing habits adopting new habits move maybe move into a different space you know whatever the case is taking up new career opportunities new creative endeavors new venture don't, don't play it safe <laughs> for real what is safe Safe is having a plan B. Why am I going to make a plan B if I'm, I'm already planning on plan A failing if I'm creating a plan B? You know what I'm saying? Like, I've, like I said, I'm not saying this is the way everyone should do it. This is the way to accelerated growth. It ain't easy. I'm just, this stuff ain't easy. You know, it's easier said than done. But like mm. really embodying it, this is the quicker route. This is the most direct route to your evolution. And if you feel ready, like, don't play it safe. Play it inwardly sourced and that takes i was just speaking on something literally i just recorded a little video that i'm gonna post um right before i hopped on here that was about me describing the relationship of the heart and the emotions as not being synonymous a lot of people myself included will be like yo i'm feeling these emotions that are impulsively driving me towards wanting to do this i'm gonna do that because i'm following my heart but emotions are a transient energy, a temporary energy that comes over us like waves of the ocean. Mm. It's like the waves of the ocean. They have the different tides, the ebbs and the flows. You don't control that stuff. It just ha happens to you. You're the witness of that. Those are our emotions. The heart is the real opposite of that in a lot of ways. How the ocean is the ebbs and the flows and it's the manifestation of contrasts and form and formlessness, duality. The heart is the still point 
compassionate neutrality in between all of it, mm. the eternal reality, the only thing that does exist, which is that state of unity. So when you are, you know, bringing this all into the not playing it safe thing, when you are acting from a space that's not emotional, when you're acting from a state of emotion, you're going to accumulate a whole bunch of turbulence and things like that, especially if you're going with the whole not play it safe thing. However, mm-hmm. the thing that I would say to not play it safe and just all or nothing, both cheeks or no cheeks, don't half-ass it, just do it type <laughs> of thing would be when you are inwardly taking inventory and aware of where your still point neutral aligned guidance is directing you towards. And when you feel, when you meditate with it, when you're in a state of stillness, when you're not being influenced by the realm of form, when you're not being influenced by thoughts and emotions and conditions and influences from outside of you. And when you are allowing yourself to inwardly source your next steps of guidance and evolution, what picture forms itself from that space is what I would say, don't make a plan B. Don't fail. Don't, don't plan for failure. You know what I mean? Like, don't just go for it. Just go for it hundred percent. Because if you're being directed from your heart, that's going to be something that you're passionate about. It's going to be something that heals you and uplifts you. Mm. And in doing so heals others and uplifts others. And that's literally like the main principles of evolution in the universe. So by you following the divine blueprints, so to speak, the, the, the divine dream of basically what existence itself like wants everything to do, by you following that path, you are supported and provided for in subtle energetic disembodied realms that are far beyond our comprehension. And that's, that's one of the other things that makes it kind of like easier to embody it is when you really do truly accept and open yourself up to experiencing and interacting with these non-physical planes of existence and being able to recognize, look, everyone has at least one guide, one guardian angel, whatever you want to call it. We all have a soul that's assigned to us, at least one. Some people in their life get multiple. You know, we have free will. So our life goes in crazy tangents and sometimes they need to send backup in whatever the case may be. All of us have souls that are here from the moment we're born to the moment we leave the skin. And then they're the ones that direct us to our, our life review and then onto our next lives. This is just something that the order of the universe has in realms that are beyond physical. And when you're able to invoke those intelligences that are literally completely here to serve you but they can only do it if you acknowledge them and give them consent they're not going to step in if you're not acknowledging and giving them consent because then they're going to interfere with your free will that's one of the prime distortions of the law of one that's one of the most important things that makes us human and allows us to evolve at such an exponential rate Mm. is our free will we have that Not all universes have that, but we have free will and they value that more than anything. They don't want to step in the way of that. So you have to give them your consent to allow them to step in and assist you, provide for you, and basically orchestrate your life circumstances in a way that who needs a plan B when all of existence itself is working with you to fulfill your 
dream, your desires, your destiny, because your dream, your desires, and your destiny from a true place within yourself is completely synonymous with the destiny, desires, and dream of God, goddess, source consciousness itself. You mentioned life review. When you say life review, you're talking about the Akashic practice. Not precisely, not exactly. I mean, okay. the Akashic records is essentially, you know, a term that humans on earth use for. If you were to see the, the spiritual realms after we shed the skin in three main categories, this is just to make it very simple. And, you know, this is generally how it works. There's many you know, there's many subdivisions to this, like many different planes in between these, but you can see it as what, um, if you know the teachings of Dolores Cannon, she speaks of this. She yeah. talks about the, the lower astral, the mid astral and the higher astral realms, essentially when you transition out of your skin into your next form depending upon the vibration it doesn't matter about what deeds you did or how good or bad you were nothing about that from the moment of your transition when you die when you leave your body and go on to your next form and transform the vibration that you are holding when you transition is going to directly correspond to the plane of vibration that you go to it's that simple and it's usually either the lower the mid or the higher astral the lower astral essentially is a, a hologram, a spiritual hologram of the physical world, where you basically are in the physical world still, and this is where we see ghosts and paranormal activities and, you know, spirits that are like in limbo and stuff like that. They're, and I'm not going to go into the depth of why you go to these places or what to do there or whatever, that's beyond the scope of this. I'm going to talk about the Akashic records, but you know, the lower astral is essentially a, repl a replication of the physical realm to where you can experience it, but you can't interact with it like at all, except for some subtle things like electric impulses and little things like that, that you could somehow influence the realm subtly, but you really can't, you're not here. You're not physical. You lost your body or you, you know, left your body, whatever the case may be. That's the lower astral. The, the mid astral, you know, Dolores Cannon basically describes as like, or well, the, basically the people who she gave hypnosis sessions describes it that she's just repeating as basically what heaven is like, you know, essentially the mid astral is whatever desire you want. You can just, you know, if you want to be in a house, a nice luxury house that you create for yourself, you could create with thought. It's like, imagine a lucid dream. You know, you basically go to a place to where anything is possible, instant manifestation. You're not in the realm of matter anymore. So you don't need to wait for things to manifest. It's instant. There's no delay. Mm -hmm. So you could create anything for yourself. You, if you want to create a nice big house for yourself and live with all of your past relatives and all of your family members that died and y'all just want to live there and experience that, there it is. You can go there. And um, that's basically the mid astral realm. Like I said, just this is simplifying it greatly, but this is like, you know, how it's pretty much broken down. And then the higher astral is basically the place that souls go for like higher learning as soon as they disembody. And that's where the Akash is at. And many other things. It's essentially one of the higher realms of the astral realm that we have access to that all of the information of existence just appears to you. 
the way that it's been shown is it's imagine like if you've seen Star Trek, the holodeck, you know, it's like a holographic, whatever you want to be shown to you is shown to you. Basically, when you enter into the realm of the Akash, you ask what you want to learn. What do you want to learn? It's like you're in the library of everything that ever has existed, does exist, or ever will exist because there is nothing that exists but now. All information, everything is happening right now. There is no future. There is no past. Those are constructs. So therefore, all of the information is stored somewhere. Nasty Akash, when you get outside of the realm of time and space, you're able to see the past and the future, just like you're able to see the now. You just see all information that exists, hmm. all possible timelines, all information. So you think about something and then it's shown to you like a holographic, like visuals shown to you everything. And you just start quantum learning, you know, just happen in there. And that's accessible when we disembody ourselves. However, mm. it's not exclusive to that. You don't have say. to. Exactly. You don't have to die to go there. There are many souls who go there who don't die. You have to a lot. You have to resonate at that frequency and then you can access the information. But if you're not resonating at that frequency, you can't see it. Yeah. Vishrant. An enlightened master from Australia was on this podcast. And he said that when he was a younger man, he he accessed the Akashic Records. But he didn't like it. He's like, ah, it's the past. Who cares? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot more people tap into it than they realize. It's just a matter of who does it consciously. Like Deja vu. Deja vu is usually a confirmation that you're on a premeditated path of your development. So when you have deja vu, that's usually like a good sign, typically, because at least from my interpretation, my experiences with it, it's been like, when you have deja vu, that's something that your soul has kind of like, that's a timeline that has happened in many different realities. Like that's a very probable timeline that corresponds usually to the path that your soul set for yourself to be an accelerated evolution so to make that a bit more simple in words before we incarnate our soul puts a little plan together a little blueprint and like i said we have free will so it's not set in stone but there is a plan that is set for us by ourselves we're the ones who set it no one else we're the ones who create that for ourselves mm. in terms of what's going to be the most pleasurable to live through and what's also simultaneously going to accelerate our evolution the most we're, it's like we're in a video game literally literally man <laughs> that's where they got the idea of video games every everything that we compare life to like technology so, nature everything that's an emanation of us so you're saying my soul whose name is not kevin my formless soul before it incarnated into Hartford, Connecticut, USA, in 1979, chose the path, chose the parents, chose the location, and said, all right, this is what it's going to be for, I don't know, hopefully over 90 years. This is what it's going to be. Go, go do it. As soon as you come out, you're going to forget. But have fun. Go. In a nutshell, essentially. <laughs> You got it on the, you know, you hit it right on the head there. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like shopping for 
geometry and organizing geometry. It's all just different angles and perspectives to be able to learn. So the way that you organize your family dynamics, traumas, like big traumatic events that you experience in your life are usually alarm clocks that your soul sets to, to wake you up. And when the trauma happens, you could either hit snooze or you could wake up. If you hit snooze, it's going to happen again. More trauma. So, so the, the soul ahead of time wants to wake up. It, it wants your incarnation to wake up. In the divine timing. There is, you know, it wants you to wake up in this, in the context to where you've integrated and learned the lessons of your divine amnesia. Because like you said, when we come into this realm, it's like we, we forget it all. You know, there's very few incidences where some people from a very young age are really just don't forget it all. You know, some people like really just remember it all from the start. And that's where we're going to see a lot more kids these days, you know, like kids in this generation that's coming, this wave of energies that's being birthed right now. They're not going to need to go through as much of the sea of divine amnesia because we've collectively as a planetary species integrated a lot of the lessons of the darkness now. So what I'm saying is why we get our memories wiped is for a reason, you know, everything happens for a reason. And that's because we're meant to be ignorant. You got to be ignorant to be wise. You got to understand dark to understand light. You got to understand evil, to understand good, whatever concept, you know, fits the, fits the shoe of the individual, like, you know, so once you've integrated your lessons of the darkness, so to speak, of ignorance, of not remembering, of forgetfulness, of your true nature, thinking and identifying with the world of form and all these silly concepts that people like base their whole life around, when you like learned enough from that, it's like, all right, now it's time to understand who and what you really are and integrate all of those lessons into what you actually came here to do. And then that's when our soul does usually set up some type of alarm clock, which most of the time, especially with the world, how it has been, like I said, I don't think it's always going to be this way. I don't think people always need trauma to wake up, but with the way that the world has been and how much darkness has been on the planet predominantly, trauma has usually been the go-to to kind of wake people up, but the great. in the future, kids won't have to do it. The great master, George Gurchiff, never called it enlightenment. He called it remembering. Yeah, that's literally exactly right. There's not a single thing that we could ever learn. It's just remembering because we forgot all of it. We already know everything. We're not separate from, we're not, like we said at the beginning of this, you know, there is no, there is no doer, doer. Is this this why so many enlightened people just don't care? Like, Osho never cared. <laughs> well, um, here's the here's the thing here. It's all about perspective, like everything. Do they not care or do they care so much that they allow the unfolding of everything to happen as it is meant to because they see the full picture of how there's not a single thing that occurs that isn't for a purpose of some form of evolution? Right. Well, I, I mean... They don't. They don't care if their body is killed. Um, like I, I know, like Osho, for example. Um, his there was this incident where his dentist, who was also a disciple, because he had such a massive congregation, is probably the biggest in modern history. 
the disciple said something that Osho didn't like. And so to teach him a lesson, he started talking while he was in his mouth drilling. <laughs> and he, so he quickly takes the drill out and he's like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? I could cut your tongue off. And he's like, I don't care if you cut my tongue off. You know, like, you, you know, what? Like what? <laughs> George Gurchiff got into a car accident. Um, many say he did it on purpose to just to give himself some pain. Um, Vishrant, the gentleman I told you about that was on this podcast, he got into an accident last year and he didn't, he, he just didn't care. He fell off a motorcycle. He didn't care. He just laid there. Ah, just, just, there's just no, it's almost like they're outside of the body. It's, 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 it's like the body is like playing with a toy or something yeah i mean your body's just your car you know it's just it's just the vehicle that our soul is driving it's not who and what we really are so they're not they are they aren't identified with the body you know there's there's a balance with that as well because like you know it is very like is a very unhealthy spiritual perspective that has kind of like been a predominant energy within seekers of all ages of completely not giving a single shit about the body. And there's a balance between not identifying with the body and not caring about it. Because yeah. here's the real thing, like you talking about real transformation and real liberation, that's incension. You're taking the body with you. When you shed this skin, the, if you look into the life of specifically all the Kriya, the Kriya masters, and stuff like that. Kriya yoga masters, but one of the, my opinion, the highest yoga there is yeah. Kriya yoga. It, all the masters, they would like the real attained ones, not every single one of them, but most of them, when they shed their skin and when they transition, their body disappears. They take their body with them because they didn't neglect their body. The whole purpose of that's basically how you gain immortality physically because yeah, you're a mortal soul, everyone, no matter what you can't die. That's an illusion. Death is just a concept. You know, it's just transformation and transition into another plane of existence. And since some people, so many people are limited to just this three-dimensional, four-dimensional, fifth-dimensional plane, they think it's all there is. You must die because you're not here anymore. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you could just live a regular life and you're still going to be immortal because your soul is going to live on, but you're going to go through the sea of forgetfulness to come back into another skin every time to continue learning your lessons or even just play here. You know, there's mm -hmm. some souls who come here with no karma and just want to play here because it's a fun place. You know, star seeds and aliens from different galaxies and dimensions. They're like, oh, Earth looks like the place to be right now. Let me embody myself. And then they just do their thing here and stuff like that. It's we live in a crazy world, man. Truth is stranger than fiction. I'm just saying it as it is. And like the whole goal of the yogic attained master is to bring the body with you in the in the transition so that you gain physical immortality and you don't have to go through the sea of forgetfulness ever again. And you're able to transmute your body into whatever form you ever want. And that takes like, yes, disidentifying with the body, knowing I am not the body, you know, the body is not who I am. I am an infinite, immeasurable, ineffable spirit and soul that is, you know, utilizing this 
lowly condensed form of energy in the form of matter of a physical body to be able to interact with this world, but also nourishing the body and taking care of the body. I mean, they talk about in Kriya, like low key, the Kriya masters were not like they had two specialties. Yes, it was self-realization and yogic mastery. But also they were masters of medicine back in the ancient times, mm. masters of medicine, because yeah. think about it, man. These people are going on crazy sadhanas, meditating in the mountains, doing crazy fasts, yogic practices, all types of different stretching and moving the body and all types of like pushing the body to its absolute boundaries. Most of these people would be in complete solitude in the depths of nature somewhere. Yeah. Imagine you get some type of physical ailment. This is hundreds thousands of years ago before there was even freaking hospitals and medical western stuff like we have today you know imagine like they got to learn how to heal themselves they got to learn like whatever physical ailment they somehow manifested it's all right now i got to learn how to heal this and then they would have to basically pause their sadhana because if you if you have like a a a life-threatening ailment happening to you, you can't necessarily do your, you can't resume your sadhana. It's going to be a distraction. It's going to take you away from your meditations and your yoga. So they had to put their sadhanas on pause, devotionally spend all of their energy, like basically just change their hat, take off the yogi hat and put on the medicine man or medicine woman hat and figure out how to heal themselves. And then when they heal themselves, they're able to resume their sadhana. And the whole mission with that was to keep your body in pristine origin so that when you do gain all of the spiritual attainment to be able to get immortality, your body is capable of it. Because if you get to a level to where you're granted basically immortality, but your body is not pure, your body is full of toxins and impurities that prevent it from being immortalized from the divine grace light then you're not going to be able to be physically immortal. And they used to even create a mixture of herbs back in the ancient times known as the, the, the Kalpa Kapi, I'm pretty sure, which is a combination of like 32 different, like very rare, very intentionally put together herbs and plants and stuff like that, that immortalize the body and basically perpetuate the body. Well, it, it keeps the body like against the aging process for as long as it takes for you to become physically immortal. There would be some people back in the ancient times that they would use this herbal blend to get past 100, 200, 300 years old. And that's how long they would be doing their yoga practices until maybe when they're 200 or 300 years old, they finally reach the point to where they could gain immortality. And they finally have the spiritual power to be able to access that state and all that time, they were using the herbs and the medicine to preserve their body so that when they finally got the spiritual attainment for immortality, their body could actually integrate it and they could be immortal because that's our natural state. That's our natural state. So in order to surrender and in order to have this expansion, we typically have to go through what most people call a dark night of the soul or ego death, you know, different names. It's not, it's not Candyland. <laughs> um, I uh, am going through one now, actually. 
especially back in the spring. Why do we have to fall apart <laughs> in order to expand? And you're you're a young guy, which is pretty cool. I, I'm guessing you're not 30 yet. 21. 21? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So so you know, for, for you to have this, you know, vibration this young is, is pretty rare. Um, for now, that means that you must have had some falling apart at a young age, right? You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me. When did it happen? Mostly when I was 12. When wow. I was 12. Wow. Yeah. It was, um, you know, I had a pretty turbulent you know upbringing in, in 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 many ways but i was also shown a lot of love by my mother with everything that we experienced and stuff like that so that was definitely something that did teach me in a lot of ways was um I'll always be eternally grateful no matter what shitty circumstances i did grow up in mm-hmm. my mother did do her best to show that unconditional love you know single mother we were in poverty a lot of the time and just like you know paycheck to paycheck life but when I was 12, you know, I um, was expelled from my school district. I was isolated. It's a, it's a whole long string of stories and stuff like that to basically just say that when I was 12, everyone that I ever knew turned their backs on me and saw me as like an evil person. I was put into a juvenile detention center and I was bullied. I was just completely looked down upon. I was, you know, I was 12 with a bunch of people that were 16, 17, 18, 19, even 20, 21 years old because they were getting held back so many years. It became a daycare. You know, they were doing drugs there. They were just like beating each other up. They're, you know, getting in fights with the security guards. It was, it was madhouse. It was fucking madhouse. And I went mute, like this completely not a single word came out of my mouth at one point for like four to five months. Wow. And that was just my internal, like, that was when I started to consciously wake up. And then I didn't actually, like, integrate my subconscious, my spiritual awakening until, like, around age 15. You know, for, like, three years, it felt like I was just in a state of pure hatred, man. Like, just pure anger, pure injustice for the whole world. I felt like I felt like the whole world was just, I, I didn't trust anyone. I didn't love anyone. I wouldn't hug anyone. I wouldn't have any compassion for anyone. I was the complete opposite of who and what I am today. Like straight up the complete opposite. Like I wouldn't even think about spirituality. I wouldn't think about things of compassion. I would just be, the whole world is fucked. And I was just like this existentialist, like, like, you know, what do they call that? When I didn't believe in any religion, any philosophy, anything. I was just like, everything fucking sucks. And but did, I, did you, did you know that you were going through some, something spiritual or was it just a depression? Deep, deep down. I did know deep, deep down, but consciously I was just like, I, I just knew that the societal system was not something that I was going to consent to my whole lifestyle. Like my whole philosophy at that age was I'd rather live a short life doing what I love than a long life doing what I'm told. Hmm. I lit, I lived by that. And like, I knew that no matter what I was going to do in life, I am not going to do what the fuck I'm told. I'm not going to do what makes no sense. All that time that I was going, you know, I am younger. So I, I grew up in the age of the information. You know, I grew up with technology. 
so i was luck i was i was able to fucking go on google all the time on my little flip phone or whatever my blackberry and shit and i was able to look up information on agenda 21 the deep state all the different governmental conspiracies that are out there in public domain documents 300 400 500 pages all the governmental seals of approval and everything here for everyone to read that no one reads i was reading that shit and i was like yo literally everything is corrupt everything from the everything the the pharmaceutical companies to the banks to the education system to the religious system it's all interwoven in a complete web of corruption that i could no consent to so i at a young age understood that the whole fucking system was absolute garbage and i didn't want to partake in any of it so i was like i just want to live my life as enjoyable as i can if that means i die by the time i'm 20 i never even thought i'd make it to 20 when i was at 12 i thought i was gonna kill myself or something i'm gonna be honest with y'all you know what i mean i I was like this world is like crazy messed up i don't see any hope in any of this and like i was like i'm gonna just do the best i can to get some type of enjoyment and down my, I ended up getting into drugs. I ended up gotten in like when I was like, I mean, since I was 12, I was like smoking and, you know, doing some light stuff. But when I was like 14, 15, 16, 17, like those three and a half, four years, you know, I went in, I went in, I quit school as soon as I legally could at 16. And like, there's, there's not many drugs you can name that I didn't at least try. Mm-hmm. I was into all of it. And um, just but but my lucky thing is I didn't stick to one drug. I just kept experimenting with whatever I was hanging around homeless people in trailer parks and the streets. And, you know, I was just like whatever I could get my hands on. You know, I didn't have money like that. I was poor. So whatever people would offer me and things like that. So I never stuck on one drug. So I didn't get crazy addicted to the point that I was able to lift myself out of it when I was like 18 into 19, 20, like at the end of age 17 into 18, 19, 20, I got sober for like two years of everything. I even stopped drinking coffee, you know, anything that had an effect on my consciousness. I was like, all right, if I'm going to, I, I got to stop at this at some point, you know? And so I cold Turkey stopped everything. And then, you know, I'm living the life I am now, you know what I mean? Now I really just, if I use anything, it's plants, you know, nothing but plants, you know what I mean? In whatever capacity, but that's like in a nutshell, man, you know, I was just isolated world flipped on me. And then when I started to get my spiritual awakening is when I started to just become who I am today is when I was like, all right, I could focus on how negative the world is and that's only going to grow how negative the world is, or I can start to see the things that do have a thriving growth and progression within reality and focus all of my life force on that. So I became like a a devotee towards love and light and harmony and progression. I'm like, yo, if I, I was in many situations, I tried to kill myself. I should have died many times. I should have died. I fell off roofs. I've overdosed. I've done many crazy things to myself and I was kept alive. And every time I was like, I used to, I was upset. I'm like, why didn't I die? You know, at the time. But then as I sat with that through the years, I realized I was kept alive. Something kept me alive and protected my ass because I was, I went in situations where people who did way less than me died brutally. And I was here waking up the next day after taking like seven different combinations of drugs that you should never mix and all types of crazy things. And like, and that's when I was like, all right, there's some reason that I'm here. And that's when I was like, it's probably for the positivity thing. I don't think it's to be an asshole to the whole world. I don't think I would be kept alive for that. We got enough of that in the world. So what was it that had you turn the corner? Was it 
I see you have a lot of love for Yogananda. Did yeah. you did you discover him or or did I actually you... just discovered him like um like a little bit before last year? Okay. I found I read his um a brother of mine suggested the autobiography of a yogi. He was right. like, yeah, all my clients, I give them this book and that's where they start. And I read that book and you know, it's all uphill from there. You know, once I found that book is one of the best, you know what I mean? Like his inspiration, his his love, his grace. But I actually found Yogananda's teachings like kind of recently. So are you basically asking me like what teachings kind of like brought me towards the path of and stuff like that? No, no <laughs> moment. Mm. Was there a moment or was there an incident that flipped this? Definitely a series of them, like a large series of them. Like definitely my near-death experiences are the number one main thing is when I should have died. And then like the next day, like the whole day I would feel dead because I felt like I died, but I'm still here. Like I committed to taking an action to try to kill myself. And somehow here I still am. And like the whole day after that, it was just a very ominous, empty feeling of like, why am I here? Mm. Why am I here? And then like that profound feeling, like just moved things in me of like, there's something deeper here. I don't know why I'm here, but I know that I'm here for a reason. And those are the most intense experiences, obviously those near deaths, but like the, um, also when I did experiment with around like 15, 16 with psychedelics, my first psychedelic was, um, mushrooms. And, um, I had a mushroom experience that really, honestly, when I was 15 really catalyzed my spiritual awakening was, um, I had a telepathic communication with my cat. Mm. I had I had a Sphinx cat. Her name was Luxor. And um, she was, you know, literally like the fucking Sphinx of Egypt, the bald cat. I grew up with that cat. And um, she, she was a teacher, a guardian angel, that cat. You know, she actually just recently transitioned out of her body a couple of years ago. But at the time, I took mushrooms and spoke to her. And she was like, the frame of consciousness that you're now accessing is the state of consciousness that I always live in. And that's why you're able to talk to me right now. And I was just having my whole mind blown. I was that was my first telepathic communication I've ever had. And I was literally like feeling all it was like I was talking to her in real time, but her mouth wasn't moving. You know, it was it was crazy. And that's when I was like, all right, I can't fuck around. Spirit exists. Spiritual realm is a thing yeah. I spent. I used to dive into science when I was in my crazy period where I left school and all that stuff and doing drugs. And uh, I was studying like general relativity, quantum physics, you know, Einstein's theories of field equations, you know, all the different things, Newtonian mechanics, like, you know, string theory, I'm talking about all the fucking science I could learn. I was teaching myself. I learned calculus just to understand physics, to be able to read Einstein's papers. You know what I mean? Like I thought that the only thing that existed was the physical realm, like most people have thought. And um, so I wanted to understand it in its entirety. I was like, if I see all the things that are messed up with this world, maybe if I understand how the world works, I'll be able to get some type of happiness out of life. And then I tried to, you know, not tried. I did for years study all of science and like I got a real good understanding of like how the world works from that realm of things. And um, but I was like totally um, what do they call that when you don't like I just didn't believe in spirit at all. I would think it was a joke, you know, some fairy tale shit. And then like, like an atheist kind of. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking of. Atheist. I never subscribed to that like label, but, you know, basically, you know, the picture. 
right. of um, just not believing in religion or spirituality of any kind at the right. time. Right. And right. Um, yeah, I remember the first the first love I ever had. She asked me when I was younger, she was like, do you believe that everyone has a spirit? And I like I certain mem- I just remember things a lot. And like I, I told her like these exact words, like I believe that all all humans are just an accumulation of inanimate particles that somehow manifest consciousness in a way that I'm still trying to understand. We're just inanimate particles. That's it. And we just manifest things that looks like it's alive, but really it's just a whole bunch of dead particles that are put together that what we seem to be life. I was like, there's no soul. There's no spirit. There's no nothing beyond the physical. There's only science basically. And, um, but yeah, that situation with my cat really did wake me up Mm. to the spirit realm. And then it kind of guided me along my journey with the experiences I was having with like, you know, how I went through, I went, I went into some depths that a lot of people don't come back from. And I was, I'm here. <laughs> and like that alone, just like always stayed with me that I knew that like, all, no matter how lo- how lost I got throughout my life, like I always had an inward knowing that there was something more that I was supposed to do something. Well, in yeah. And look at you now. I mean, you, you vibrate pretty high. I can tell, you know, you're helping people, uh, you know, with seminars and retreats and whatnot, and you, you put it in your music and you're what it's something changed. <laughs> <laughs> something changed. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, I realized you smile a lot, you know, I mean like the, in the nutshell of like how I became the, the internet person that I am, you know what I mean? Like when I was working, it, it was really around the age 17 that I started to become who I am today in terms of the internet personality and doing retreats and doing gatherings and making music and well music was before that different story but like basically um I was working at a factory job and like you know I worked a couple jobs when I left school like I I worked and stuff like that to be able to support my ridiculous drug addictions and stuff and um what's it called one of the jobs i worked at was a place in south plainfield new jersey called rnd altanova and i was building circuit boards there i got recommended by a brother of mine who i worked with him at panera bread and then he recommended me and i was supposed to have a college education to work there and i didn't even fucking graduate high school and like i was making bread there but like it was an overnight shift you know what i'm saying so it was like a i would go in at 11 p.m and i would get out at like 7 30 a.m you know, I would just be drinking mad coffee and just be wired, yo. And like, I was, you know, my job was, it was hard to what most people would say, but it was honestly very easy. I, you know, I just like got a feel for, I was, I grew up with technology, so I feel like I'm easy with it. And um, so I had a lot of free time at this job is what I'm building to here. Like I had a lot of free time and like, I was just getting paid to be on the clock. I would do my etching job. I would take the copper out of the inside of the circuit boards through, you know, sulfuric acid and ammonium hydroxide and stuff like that, uh, ammonia, and just like taking all the copper out to allow it to be conductive with just the tin or nickel or gold or whatever the final product of the circuit board wanted to be. And then whenever I would finish that, I would just be chilling for sometimes hours waiting for another circuit board to be handed to me to work on. And sometimes, you know, I'd have kind of busy days or I'd work on a circuit board, kind of the whole shift. I would work like eight, 10 hour shifts. But 
I had a lot of times where I just would be in between jobs for freaking hours on end. And I would just be chilling there, just getting paid to just chill there. And so I was like reading a lot. I was listening to podcasts a lot. I was, um, I was tuning into Gaia, the network and like, you know, different things on that. And I was just learning a lot. Like at the time I was like, I'm literally getting paid to learn. I can just chill on my phone. I could watch things, learn things. I could bring out a book. I could write music. My whole album, Satori, like that whole album I wrote at that job. Like You named, it, you named it Satori? Yes. It's Sanskrit for sudden moment of realization or awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was, I love that album. That's like my third or whatever album. I'm pretty sure. And um, yeah. So at that time when I was just learning so much, that's when I started to get online the call just to like record myself speaking of what I was learning. Plain and simple. Like I would just be learn, I would just learn something that would blow my mind. I'd be like, this is what? It, like I was I was learning crazy things. I don't even want to start summarizing it. Just I was learning crazy things about the universe. And so I would just, I'm like, I want to share this with somebody, yo, even if it's just one person. I need I need the world to know this. God damn. Like this is not talked about ever, you know? So like I'll just whip out my phone. And just for like a minute, two minutes, however long the video would be like, you know, I'll just post it on Instagram or sometimes YouTube. I would just be at my job with all my freaking work clothes on and my freaking all that stuff, you know, having copper and shit all over me. And I'm just like, did you know the extraterrestrials are a reflection of the blah, 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 you know, just like saying all these things. And then I would just post it. And like I pretty much was you know, it's that whole consistency thing. I was posting like every day because I was working like every day, like even sometimes seven days a week, six days a week, you know, because I was just picking up shifts to make money and stuff like that. Like I didn't have anything else to do. I was like, fuck it, I might as well make a lot of money. And um, so um, I was just being very consistent with that and then making videos. And then eventually I quit that job And then I went to like, just go full time. I wanted to make a YouTube account. And I saw a vision of me, like, you know, I had savings from how much I was working at that job. So I was like, this was at the end of 2018 into 2019. And I went to like, you know, just uh, basically be a full-time YouTuber and musician was kind of like where I was at at that time. And I was like, I'm gonna quit this job you know, and I'm gonna just focus on building up monetization on the YouTube channel and um, making a clothing line and making my website and having private sessions and stuff like that. And I started to do everything that now brings me in revenue and stuff like that full time. And I was doing that for a bit until some some more trauma happened in my life three months after that. And then that set me on a whole nother path of evolution. But then when I found my way back to being Pleiades again, like things just started to connect and expand and very quickly, but it really just started with me hopping on my phone, just talking just about, I didn't have a plan. I would just like, you know, I'll just hit the record button and see what comes out. And then people were like starting to receive it, you know, and I would see like the views go up and I started getting crazy amounts of followers and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, people want to learn. The world isn't ignorant. And then as I started to share the things I was learning, my whole nihilistic, like everyone in the world is a dumbass sheep type of mentality from when I was younger, you know, from what the world kind of showed me, you know, that kind of, I just, I was just filling myself with more love is really what it is. You know, I was just seeing more and more 
through the eyes of love and like acceptance and wholeness. And then like, I started to see people receive, um, not even what I would say, like just the teachings of source or whatever, you know, I just feel like I said from the beginning of this, I'm a conduit. I don't have anything to tell you. I just have everything to remind everyone. You know what I mean? And, uh, eh, that's really what it is. And then the consistency is what brought it to the level it was at, because I was like, what else is there to do? But what God kept me alive for, like I said, I feel like I was supposed to die and didn't. And I feel like this is why to do all this. So I'm going to do it. It's great motivation. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. Um, I, I, I love how you integrate Jedi culture into everything. I'm a, I'm a star Wars dork. And I even did an episode on this podcast, breaking it down. Yeah. And, and how it relates to the Eastern traditions and Taoism, Buddhism, et cetera. So it, it's, it's cool to see someone with a Jedi cloak on <laughs> dropping some knowledge. <laughs> Yo, I'm literally doing a Jedi training in Hawaii in a couple days on yeah. a fr- on today's Wednesday. On fr- in two days, I'm doing a Jedi training yeah. like with a bunch of people. It's, you know, it's, that's one of my biggest things that I feel like I'm here to do because I, I Jedi came through me about a year ago. Look, I'm, I'm Star Wars geek too, trust me, since I was a young kid loved that thing like star wars was one of my main like movies that like got me through life and i even read the comics of it i i went the whole thing i love that stuff it was just it's amazing and um but i had the download for joyful energy displaying integrity jedi Mm -hmm. and so it's like essentially it's like the Jedi training that I kind of do is the modernization of the ancient techniques and the ancient principles and stuff like that. And basically like putting it in a modern interpretation and integrating it for people, like rather than just recycling the same information from what the people of the East and the ancients did do, it's bringing that in a lens that allows people to adopt it into their life in a practical, accessible and understandable, digestible way. And so in a nutshell, I talk about like, you know, joyful, like each part of the acronym has a, has a like very important role in the philosophy of being a a joyful energy displaying integrity. Joyful is, is what you're doing, bringing you and others joy, essentially, i.e. are you being driven by an intrinsic driving force an inward source of inspiration or is it an external source of motivation that's driving you? If it's an external source of motivation, then that's not sustainable. Eventually, you're constantly going outside of you for a driving force to keep moving forward. It's not a sustainable, successful key element to life. When you are sourcing from within yourself and you're joyful with what you're doing, that is going to allow you to tap into a source of energy that is well equipped to sustainably providing you with the driving force that you need for the rest of your life to do whatever it is that you're doing if you feel joy while you're doing it Mm. then energy of the jedi acronym is how are you cultivating your energy how are you integrating energy cultivating practices mentalities lifestyle choices and ways of being that are bringing your energy into balance because what the whole Jedi concept is, we're all here to serve humanity in some way. We're all, we all have a gift and we're all here to share it. All of our gifts are unique. 
No two gifts are the same. We're, we all have our own unique gift and we're here to share it. That's kind of what the whole shebang is all about of human life. And, you know, having your energy in a balanced, cultivated, integrated state is the most essential thing to being able to do it sustainably. Because if your energy is constantly like, if you're trying to do your purpose, live your life, do your sadhana, do everything, but you're giving energy to people unconsciously, you're you're investing your energy in distractions that aren't serving you. You're eating food that's bringing down your vibration. You're doing, you're smoking or drinking or something like that. You know, your, your energy isn't cultivated and you're not embodying the, the balanced lifestyle that is conducive towards sustainable growth and expansion and creative endeavors, then, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. So basically the E is all about the practices and all about the lifestyle and about how to actually integrate your energy and cultivate that in what you do creatively. Mm. And then displaying is how are you displaying your God-given gifts? How are you sharing with the world what it is that you are here to share? You know what I mean? Like, how are you actually going about sharing it? Like I said, at the beginning of my thing, I was just making videos. That's me displaying what I'm learning. I was making music. That's me displaying what I'm learning. I was making clothes. That was me displaying what I'm learning. I was doing private sessions, displaying what I'm learning. I was doing events. That was me displaying what I'm learning. Like those are, that's just my path. Someone else could be making shoes, man. It could be dancing. It could be anything, you know, it's completely unique to everybody. But how are you sharing your gifts with the world? You can't just sit in a mountain and change the world by not sharing. it. It starts with that. It starts with you going inwardly to be able to get into a state to where you know what it is that you're here to share. But once you're gotten to that point, you got to display it. You got to do something. You know what I mean? Share your incredible gifts with the world. So, you know, the third part is basically how are you displaying it and what um, strategic methods can you go about consistently pursuing that endeavor of displaying your God-given gift? And then the last one is integrity joyful energy displaying integrity how are you making it all integral and not only establishing that it's off of a foundation of integrity but also taking into consideration certain methods of integrating like a fail-safe system for how it can remain integral because you hear about artists all the time and different people all the time where they start with good intentions, nice, pure person. Then they get this record label deal or this contract with a bunch of money and all this stuff. And then their integrity goes out the fucking window. And then you have an artist that you're like, oh, their first album, their second album is like, you know, the greatest thing to ever be made on earth. And then now on album five or six, they're talking about which is in the monies and the hoes and the drugs and the love and you know what I mean? And where'd the integrity go? So like, it's not just about making sure you have integrity at the start. That's definitely part of it. But also, how do you systematically ensure that you maintain your integrity and hold accountability for yourself throughout your journey? Mm. And those types of thought processes, because the integrity is what keeps, what holds it all in. If your integrity is off, the foundation's fucked, period. Everything's going to become decaying. Things decay when it's not from integrity. Because why? It's not just about good and bad. It's about when you're in a state of integrity, that foundation is set off of a space that is going to benefit yourself, benefit others. That's the whole key to everything. Like I said at some point earlier, when you're doing something that benefits you and is joyful and intrinsically uplifting you, it's going to do that same thing to others. 
and that's perpetuating existence's evolution. So when what you're doing is within that integrity, like I said, all of the universal forces that are beyond the physical are going to be assisting you in doing what it is that you're doing. So if you have a system that is in integrity through and through, you got the you got God on your side. Mm-hmm. You can't fail. Source itself is coinciding and orchestrating with your will because you've learned how to harmonize your personal will with the divine will. And when those two become one, that's enlightenment, if you want to call it that. Mm. That's that's oneness, that's wholeness, and that's living from a full state. So that's that's the that's joyful energy displaying integrity training. That's Jedi training. And I've, you know, a little some sequences I put together from Kriya, Kundalini Yoga, Asanas, different um things like that. I'm still developing all of it. You know, I'm growing with it. I just started sure. doing this stuff couple months ago and stuff like that but i'm formulating it into like a course into um you know a lot of different a lot of different content that i've accumulated from the retreats that i taught it at and the workshops and all of the different practices and i did a 40-day sadhana Mm. where i recorded all of it and I'm, i'm basically taking all the content and figuring out how to make it into one nice um digestible package to where you could just buy one thing and then you get the whole jedi experience and then you know, down the line, even do more one-on-one Jedi training and facilitating and stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. but anyone who's like looking to learn that just reach out to me. And I have many offerings that I could provide you in this, in the sense of like the Jedi training. So before I ask my last question, yeah, where can people come say hello to you? Um, definitely my biggest thing would probably be to send me an email um akashic pleiades p-l-e-i-i-i-a-d-e-s at gmail.com akashic pleiades at gmail.com that like i check my emails and stuff like that and i I have like many different categories of emails so i keep them organized and that email i specifically have for that purpose a lot of people send me instagram messages and it gets flooded you know i respond to everyone on instagram but sometimes I'll take as long as like eight months to respond to someone. I can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like that, man. It'd be like that. Like, you know, and there's a lot of messages. It just happens. So like, you know, with the emails though, it'll pop right up on my phone and stuff. Cause I don't have Instagram notifications. I got to be on the app to see that someone messaged me, but in email, I'll be able to see it. So I would say, send me an email at Akashic Pleiades at Gmail and um, say whatever collaboration, whatever you want to do. If you want to, yeah. And I'm also, you can also find most of my services and offerings through, I have two websites I'm developing right now. I have Pleiades.com, which is my main website with a lot of my offerings, P-L-E-I-I-I-A-D-E-S.com. And um, uh, it's in desperate need of updating. I need to work on it a lot more. Uh, it's, I haven't updated it in quite a bit. And, um, but, and then the other website specifically, in the domain of like gatherings and um, offerings in terms of like courses and, and things like that. And master classes on um, my other website. That is the one I'm really putting a lot of energy into right now is source sanctum.com. Okay, last question. Top, top three most influential books that you've read. Okay. Okay. Top three, man. I've read a lot of books. 
in terms of influential like inspiring mm-hmm. well the first one i gotta definitely say it is no secret for anyone who does follow me like i'm gonna just say the whole book series of ringing cedars of russia by vladimir mcgree that hands down number one no question that book has been that book series there's there's 10 books in the book series and they're working on the 11th one right now and um i just i'm about to finish book nine and i'm like super excited for book 10 and um <laughs> it's freaking so good um so um it's called anastasia and the ringing cedars of russia book series so that's number one uh, number two I mean, we mentioned it earlier and I might have to put it on the list, like the autobiography of a yogi Sure, that, that really, really, really shifted a lot within me and really opened my eyes to what's possible, you know, in terms of like Siddhis and the superpowers and the attainment of following this path and the devotional guru, um, devotee relationship, like, you know, that that book definitely inspired me to kingdom come mm. and let's see i could i could say i could say books forever man but let's see this, what's the what's the third one that i really want to put up above that list i'm a reader as well so i can appreciate it yeah what's number so, three? it's coming to me right now so i might as well just say it probably bringers of dawn by barbara marciniak that is the teachings of the Pleiadians. Like every page was like the most refreshing, like I'm home, I'm home. There are others like me. (laughs) Is that why you adopted that name for your stage name? Um, That was well before I- Well before, okay. Yeah, well before. That was the the Pleiadian. I chose the name Pleiades before I knew what the Pleiadians were. Like the name came to me through a string of synchronicities and I just like- I was literally like starting to make music again. I started when I was 12, put it down because like I had such a high pitched voice. I was like, who the fuck would want to listen to this? I'm 12 years old rapping about things. And then when I was like 15, 16, I started rapping again. And at that point I was like, I need a stage name. You know, I was like, fuck it. I guess I'll be name myself space time or something. I don't know. What are, I don't know. I don't want to just use Derek. I want to be creative. You know, I'm a creative. Let me do something. And then the name Pleiades came to me through like, bunch of psychedelic experiences, certain songs. Pleiades is in the Taurus constellation. That's my astrological sign in most of my houses. Like all the different, like just went deeper and deeper into like, holy shit, I'm like actually a Pleiadian, you know? And I was like, I'm glad I chose the right name. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Type of thing. I'm glad I didn't name myself serious or no, but like serious. We, <laughs> yeah, we're we're all all of the star systems. That's that's the one thing is it's funny. People look at me and they talk to me about the star seeds and stuff. And I'm like, they're like, how do I know if I'm a Pleiadian? How do I know if I... I'm like we're all Pleiadian? We're all Syrian. We're all Arcturian. We're all Lyran. We're all we're all all of them. We have it all in our genetics. Some of us have more of some genetic code than others, but we all have the accumulation of all of the star races in our genetic code. That's for a different podcast to talk mm-hmm. about that. Derek, it's been a pleasure, man. Oh, absolutely mutual, my friend. Any opportunity I have, the platform to be able to share what Source does through my lips, I'm very grateful for it. I'm grateful to be received and I'm grateful for you for putting this podcast together and for um, you know, consistently putting out this content to assist people and be an inspiration. You know, I know in my journey, 
I would listen to podcasts. I don't really listen to much anymore, but like, you know, I'd listen to them and they, they served a role in my life of just being able to tune into like a radio station of consciousness where people are actually saying some type of truth, you know, that I could resonate with. So, mm. you know, I see the value of the work that you do and I'm very grateful that you are doing it. And I'm even more grateful to be a part of it. Right on. Right on my brother. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.